house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I've met somebody who uh, who seems to be Sean. Am I to understand that that ten-year-old boy told you he was your late husband, Sean? He said it's me, Sean. What am I supposed to think? <laughs> He's back. What do you want? You'll be making a big mistake if you marry Joseph. There's a boy this tall who wants to marry my fiance. You're hurting me. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's crying through our old age makeup as we play the violin. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my reincarnated dead husband, Joe Reed. I am Sean. That's it. That's all I You're got for you. You're hurting me. I am Sean. Um, You're hurting me. Yes. Finally, we're doing this movie. I feel like we've been sort of keeping this in the hip pocket for a while. Always high on list of listener requests. Yes. This beloved, it's a great movie. This beloved movie that got 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. 38% on Rotten Tomatoes has to be in... Like, I would say the lowest 10% of Rotten Tomato scores we've ever done on a movie. Probably. We've done some pretty bad ones. We've done some in the teens and such, but yeah. Um, yeah, but th- I, I was so sh- I was still so shocked by that 38%. Me too. Partly because, like, people can put a review on Rotten Tomatoes whenever they want. And this is a movie that's gotten through enough of a reassessment the thing about the reassessment of this movie i can't just tell if it's a thing that it's like gay people are on board with this movie now because it does feel the the resurgence reassessment of this movie does still feel niche and i think that's somewhat due to well the like intermittent availability of this movie maybe i have a lot of thoughts on this matter and and, you know, we'll get into them as we go along. But I think it's niche. The reassessment is niche because the movie is niche. I feel like right. in my experience, I feel like everybody who has reevaluated this movie sort of loves it now. It's surprising to me that the in the ensuing 17, 18 years, Jesus... Is that right? <laughs> God. Nearly twenty. Nearly twenty. Um, maybe. That 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 sort of reassessment and maybe like anniversary reviews and such like that wouldn't have bumped it up a lot. I was surprised that I was was not able to find a whole lot of like fifteen year anniversary pieces, ten year anniversary pieces of birth, because literally everybody I know seems to want to fall over themselves to talk about how this movie was not properly evaluated in its time and it deserves a reappreciation and reassessment. My thing with birth 
is I didn't get it the first time I saw it. And that was sort of whatever. That was kind of in line with the way that it was being mostly received at the time. Even though I was in definitely like Oscar circles and like very sort of like ardently Kidman devoted circles who, and there were definitely people who were sort of loudly being like, it's great. It's not, you know, people are being too hard on it. But there wasn't even at that time this like, it's a secret masterpiece. And that drumbeat, <laughs> because I wasn't uh, doing, I I was lurking on message boards, <laughs> not posting, because I I'm not patting myself to back on the back to be like I am an OG birth fan, but uh, I'm an OG birth fan. <laughs> I think, and I don't even think it's necessarily people who sort of came around on it. I think it's just people didn't see it right away, and people didn't see it for years, and so I, it got reduced down to the more controversial talking point, which I think a lot of the people that were outraged are people who didn't actually see the movie. And, sure, sure, you know. sure. And so as this kind of, all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's five years after this movie. And now everybody I know, I've never had a conversation with anybody who's seen this movie and not over the top, absolutely loved it. And every single time I was just like, Am I a stupid person? Like, I genuinely, like, I generally sort of shamefully maybe pride myself on having some sense of taste and discernment when it comes to movies. And when it comes to something like this, because the the reaction, the reassessment and the re, uh, reaction to birth was one of those people didn't get it at the time. People didn't understand what glazer was going for with this movie people were too sort of dull to appreciate what it was going for and i was like yeah i guess me and so as like again i've never ever ever talked to anybody who about this movie who didn't love it and like people whose intelligence i respect people whose taste i respect and i've seen it a couple of times since then and it's still sort of evades me. I think I have arrived at a point now where I'm like, it's a terribly interesting movie. It's a really incredibly interesting movie that does not, and that leaves me in a place that I feel like is not the place that everybody else is left with uh, at the end of the movie. And it doesn't, I'm just not thrilled by it. I'm not moved by it i'm not I, i'm seeing these you sort of like the same for nicole's performance i think it's i mean i love nicole kidman i it's a very good nicole kidman performance it's not the best one i've ever seen it's good it's very good she that scene i think the, most days i would say it's the best nicole kidman. yeah see and that's i'm 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 just not I'm just not there, which again makes me sound like a hater, but I'm not. I think I it's an incredibly impressive performance. I think I I don't know. I walk out of this movie and I'm just like, I wish I could feel what everybody else is feeling, and I want to I have no reason to believe that everybody isn't like on the level about it, about how much they love it, and about how great <laughs> it is and how perfect it is. But like I will read these these reviews on you know um, people talk about it on Twitter or on Letterboxd or whatever and talking about just like this is this like fantastic encapsulation of 
grief and whatever. And I'm just like, that's not what I get out of this movie. What I get out of this movie is... It's not necessarily what I get out of it either, but I, especially on this rewatch, I was struck in a couple ways by like what I think the movie is on about. And uh, because Glazer and I think Kidman are fairly outspoken that it's kind of about the nature of love, which I think people fall down the wrong kind of rabbit hole with this movie. And to them, you know, it's kind of this low hanging fruit of, well, the nature of love is it stays with you and you, it makes you willing to, you know, believe circumstances despite reality. And I think in rereading some of the negative reviews about this movie, I think people get kind of, lost down this rabbit hole of like mysticism or like kind of a spookiness like uh with the movie and i think like this is not a movie that holds your hand through you know what it thinks it's about and i think it's a movie that's you know but that's not not what i want i don't want trying to be i don't want a movie that's gonna hold my hand through this i like the fact that it doesn't and I don't want the dumber version of this movie. I feel like that's sort of how I feel like I'm I'm being put the box I'm being put into when I say that I I have never connected with this movie is like oh well you just want you know the dumber version of this movie that'll hold your hand through it and it's just like that's not no it just it doesn't click for you like I mean on a certain level I do think this is a wavelength movie so it's like I think you know and this isn't like to snub my nose at you or anybody else who just doesn't groove with this movie but like the thing about a wavelength movie is if you're not on the wavelength you're just not on this is sort of this is kind of exactly what i said about licorice pizza where i was just like it's a vibes movie that i don't vibe with whatsoever and so what am i what am i supposed to do about that like there's really nothing i can do about that and i think in licorice pizza i can sort of nitpick a lot of little flaws in it that that um, sort of add up to a lot. And this one, in, in birth, less so. I think, again, I think it's incredibly interesting. I think the, sh- the, you know, the shots and the scenes are really good. I think the performances are really skillful. There are a couple moments that kind of delight me, most of them involving Lauren Bacall. Um, <laughs> I want to sort of get onto the other end of the plot description, though, just so I can kind of get into what I think the movie is doing and what I think the movie is saying, because I'm interested to hear how far apart we are on what we think the movie is doing and saying. Uh, I would love to um, absolutely get into that. Um, Yeah, uh, so do you just want to get into the plot description? I'm guessing this is a movie that a lot of our listeners have seen, given uh, our demographic of people who listen to us and the fandom for this movie. But guys, we are talking about 2004's Birth, directed by Jonathan Glazer, written by Glazer, Milo Attica, and Jean-Claude Carrier, who I did not uh, realize was one of the screenwriters. Uh, very kind of prolific career, including movies like The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, which I think, you know, uh, definitely his contribution to this movie probably you know, gives it its... It definitely feels very French, this movie, even though it is not in any way French. It has a... In a way that, like, this is perhaps a movie you're not supposed to take things literally. Right. Um, at almost any turn. 
um, starring the one and only Nicole Kidman. We will get into it. The aforementioned Lauren Bacall, Cameron Bright, Danny Houston, the very underrated Anne Heche, uh, Peter Stormare, Allison Elliott, Arliss Howard, Ted Levine, and Kara Seymour. Um, always think of her in You've Got Mail. Thank you. I'm having my eggs harvested. <laughs> it's a great scene. It's a great line delivery. getting those eggs harvested. Um. <laughs> uh, Birth world premiered in competition at the 2004 Venice Film Festival and then opened Halloween weekend. It's not it's not not a horror movie at times though. Is the thing. If this was released today, you would have some idiot saying it's elevated horror. I mean, I might be one of those idiots. Like there are times when I'm watching this movie <laughs> and being like it has the aesthetics of a horror movie. It is employing well, the aesthetics the of a horror scene movie. is something out of hereditary like it's Yeah. There are, like, there are, there, you know, the way that uh, Displace score is utilized at times feels like it's sort of, you know, taking the back road around to to a horror movie. I can't wait to talk about the Displace score. Oh, it's very good. It's, as again, as all of the elements of this movie are, it's very good. It, again, it confounds me why I don't love this movie, because it really feels like, and I, and I don't know, it's one of my great flaws and failings, and... And we're gonna. I would not call it a flaw failing. We're gonna get into it, and uh, who knows? You could come out the other side uh, feeling differently about the movie. Who knows? As could I? Who knows? Uh, but Joe, are you ready for your sixty-second plot description of Birth? I think the soonest we've ever gotten to a plot description. Yeah, I mean, I just want to get into talking about the movie. I feel like I sometimes I feel weird about like I think I get too sort of headstrong about talking about the specifics of a movie, and I'm and I get ahead of myself. So. I want to I want to be orderly in this one. <laughs> All right then. If you are ready, your 60-second plot description of the motion picture Birth starts now. Right. So Nicole Kidman's husband is named Sean. He goes for a run in Central Park. He drops dead. 10 years later, she's getting engaged somewhat reluctantly to uh, a character played by Danny Houston and uh Shortly thereafter, after their engagement party, uh, a young boy shows up at her mother's birthday party and declares himself as the reincarnated Sean, and he's in love with Anna, and he wants to be with her. And nobody believes him at first, and she, Kidman sort of wants to send him away. Anna is her name, and 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 sort of ag- against her better judgment, she comes to realize she believes this, or she very much decides that she wants to believe oh, this. Oh, shit. Sorry, I wasn't uh, tracking your time. That's fine. Is, am I done? Am I over? <laughs> no, I was listening and getting lost. Sorry. Okay. Uh, you have, Let's say you have 10 seconds. All right. And uh, finally, by the time she comes around to it, he is revealed as a fraud because Anne Heche is a badass, and um, they can't be together, and then she has a we'll breakdown on the beach at her taking wedding photos. It was about time that I got lost in one of your plots. Sure, it's such a compelling movie. I, I you know, yeah. I mean, you, you, much like uh, uh, Anna at a at an opera, um, became sort of lost in a reverie of your own emotions. So, yeah, I think that this is a movie that, like, plot description doesn't necessarily speak. I mean, it does speak to the themes of the movie, but it's like. I don't know. I think their beha- everyone's behavior in this movie, you know, the way that they're interacting, tells a very different story. Tells a deeper story. How, what do you mean by that? Because I'm inter- I'm interested in in I I think you're right, but I wanna I want 
specifics, I guess. <laughs> I guess to speak kind of grandly, and I'll get into the like granular, like behavioral things that get me on this track about this movie. I think that this movie isn't the the grief, the you know nature of love is a stand-in for something else. I think this movie is about the realization that there is no God. There is no afterlife. Spirituality is not real. Um, and I think what you see in this movie, like I think one of the most striking lines, one of the most like things that the movie hinges on is who told me there was no Santa Claus? Yeah, and he, basically guesses who it is like right it's one thing that a lot of the critics including roger ebert who was very positive on the movie got hung up on they think that this third act is some hokum they think that there's these incongruities to uh even if you think that he was sean you know there's evidence to say that he wasn't and they think that you know if he wasn't sean there's these things that you just can't explain of course you can explain this is a kid who's guessing well, Another it's thing- it's fascinating, and I think Ebert sort of does get to that in his review, which is, even after the movie explicitly tells you, no, he was faking it, no, he was putting this on, people don't want there to accept is- that. People, exactly. people want there it is- to be true. There's people in the movie, there's people in the audience who are going to want it to be true, so their mind will allow it to be true because they want it to be. Which puts them in the same position that Anna is in, which I do love when a movie does that, when a movie manipulates its audience into the same psychological position that its character is in. But it's not just Anna. It's that scene where he correctly identifies who told her there wasn't a Santa Claus, where you can see it on the faces of people like Arliss Howard, where because this one thing, you know, happens to like, it's like the pinpoint of like, well, you can't explain this. So how yeah. how can you explain that there would be no God? You know, it's it's there's a certain degree where he is... Manipulating is not the right word, but because he can pick up on these cues or he can find a way in from people's willingness to even entertain the idea that he might be the reincarnated Sean is a way in for him to read their gestures, whatever. Yeah, And I think it's important that he is the age that he is, because even if he was two years older... And he was a pubescent kid who had a little bit more yeah. uh, life in the world. It would be really hard to separate that he... Because he is doing something conscious. Yeah. But I think at that age, it's still subconscious. Whereas if he was, you know, a preteen or a teenager, it would be incredibly cruel. And I think yeah, the casual of it not just his age where he is still at an age where he might believe in santa claus the uh, that element of it do you think this 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 whole ordeal was how he found out that santa claus wasn't real because he uh thought he was sean and uh the movie is about finding out santa claus isn't real (laughs) the movie is about finding out there is no afterlife when anna has this like complete breakdown at the end of the movie sure it's the idea that like whatever glimmer she was still holding on to her dead husband in her heart in her mind yeah 
He's gone. And not only is he gone, like the type of devastation that she's experiencing is the type of devastation not just when you lose someone, but when your concept of the world and your concept of right. uh, what, you know, there, what type of spiritual existence there is in the world, all of that is not true. And that you have been a willing participant in a... a um, you know, basically a, a, fraud. a philosophical lie, a fraud. A fraud. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Jonathan Glazer specifically has, you know, said in interviews at the time, you know, he doesn't necessarily believe in an afterlife, but he wasn't saying it in the way that it's like, this is what the movie is about. This is just my interpretation of what the movie is ultimately about. Sure. And it's, you know, when you look at the actual behavior of these characters, they're all reverting into this kind of childlike state, yeah. you know, like Anna as the way she communicates is very like clipped and, you know, I, you I've seen plenty of interpretation where it's like Anna is reverting to a childlike state yeah. and like We'll talk about the bathtub scene, but it's just like, what do you do with kids? You just throw them in a bathtub. Right. And that's literally what that scene is. Yeah. It's not an erotic scene. No, not way. at all. Not like, at all. It's literally just like two kids yep. thrown into a bathtub. But it's also like her new fiance, the fight that he basically I has do with love this that kid scene. is like some shit out of a playground. I and love he's that screaming, scene where he like, like pushes. The, he's kicking my. He pushes the piano into the doorway and then climbs over it. It's my favorite thing that Danny Houston's ever done on film. And I also feel mm-hmm. like we'll get into that. Danny Houston's great in this. And he's incredibly perfectly cast on when we'll sort of we'll get into that. Um I like your interpretation of it. Mine is closer to yours than I thought it would be, but it's a sort of a lateral away from it. And I don't I hesitate to say that this is what I think the movie was about because I'm I suspect it's not what the intention of the movie was about, but it's definitely the takeaway that I have from it. And and definitely after seeing it this time, I'm more sure of it than ever that this is sort of my take on the movie, which is I don't think it's about how the afterlife isn't real. I think it's about how love isn't real. And, and ultimately, because this movie does not hang together psychologically and i think that's intentional i think there's the psychology you get it even at the end of the movie where they basically just sort of throw up their hands and just like i don't know why this happened like it just sort of happened this kid sort of you know decided uh, that he was sean and and now he's cured or something like who knows like psychologically the fact that when anna decides that she thinks that it's Sean, and I say decides because I do feel like it's an active decision, it does not seem to come from a place of, I I knew Sean, I loved Sean, this is, I feel that this is Sean by the way that he speaks and by the way that he moves and acts. Anything that would psychologically indicate this person that she loved and married and lived with and was dedicated to, and that's not what the that's not what happens what happens is anna decides that she's going to believe this because she wants to because she's you know grieving because she's not 10 years later fully over this guy and when she realizes that 
he was never Sean, when he sort of eventually says, I'm not Sean. The things that that sort of fall away from her, and I think this is a big part of her sort of breakdown at the end of the movie, as I see it, is I wanted this to be true, so I made it true. And it's not because... I could feel in this person if I was if I was thinking that I could feel in this person this love that I had this person that I knew uh it it wasn't because that's it ultimately ended up being a fraud being a lie so was all of this thing that I thought of as love and dedication and devotion to this person just a projection from me onto this person who I decided all those years ago that I was in love with is love ultimately just a projection, just a thing you project onto other people. And ultimately the only person in this movie who knows that he's not Sean from a psychological perspective is Anne Heche's character. And even she sort of has the cheat of she knows it's not him because she knows about the letters and she sort of has the inside track onto how he pulled off this fraud. But even still, it's mostly just that, like, she she is the only one who sort of looks at him and is just like, you're not Sean, I knew it the second I saw you. And this is the person who was having this, like, you know, illicit affair. She's the adulteress. She's the, you know, uh, she's the bad guy in that scenario. And I think the movie, to me, Anne I walk... Is so good. She's so fucking good. We'll talk about it. This is... Even that, I feel like, is this kind of reversion into playground interactions because she's like, you're not hers, you're mine. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know? No, you're totally right about that. Even the sister also has a moment of just like, you're not Sean, stop talking about this, like, we're not doing this, and, you know, sort of stamping her foot down. Um, but I don't know. I just, like, that's what I walk away from this is that it's... It totally, which is, again, why I think it's fascinating that you talked about, like, is it just that we know a lot of queer people who, like, who, you know, who are really into Nicole Kidman, really into birth? But I think it does sort of take this idea of this, like, this is heteronormative love. This is what we uh, have accepted as these very sort of normal notions of romantic notions of love and, and love that survives beyond death. And ultimately, it's just, ultimately, to me, I walk away from it as just like, Love doesn't exist. Love's a projection. Love's a thing that you project onto somebody else. And when you decide you want to project it onto somebody, to a totally different person, the same exact love, you can because it's like a, it's like a movie projector and you can move it from this wall to this wall. And I think one thing that, you know, regardless of how you interpret this movie, that is incredibly important is this idea of making an intentional choice to believe something. Yes. Because, I mean, like, for my interpretation of it, and, like, especially considering where Glazer is coming from, it's, you know, ultimately it's saying you have to make a conscious decision to believe in an afterlife. You have to make a conscious decision to believe in a god or uh, any of that. And part of this, like, reversion into childhood for all of these characters, I think, is ultimately, like, well, why is this movie called Birth instead of Death? Because it's this reversion into a childlike state, you know, this where you are naturally prone to, you know, believe in, you know, something engineering everything sure, and sure, not, sure. you know, 
things just happening the way they are. Even at the beginning when, you know, Danny Houston's giving his speech at the engagement party and he says this like really kind of like telling on himself thing that he doesn't realize where he says, you know, a year ago I asked her to marry me and she said no. And then a month ago I asked her again and she said no. And I'm here to tell you that I finally got a yes. And you're watching this and you're just sort of just like kind of laughing at him for not realizing what a chump it makes him seem like. But also... Again, to me, it underlines the idea that, like, what we think of as love is mostly a decision to be in love, a decision to decide that you are going to enter into this state, you know, that is love. And she's entering into it's it's fascinating to me that their big reconciliation scene at the end of the movie comes in a boardroom (laughs) where it is Mm -hmm. essentially a a decision. It's also the scene where she says the wildest shit, where it's just like, I'm blameless. You can't can't blame me for doing it. Anyone would have done it. I You can't blame me for doing what I did. And I think that's wild. It's the mo- only time I've, I, I can imagine ever siding with Danny Houston against Nicole Kidman in a scenario ever where I was just like, <laughs> you absolute fucking lunatic. The ball's on you to walk into this guy's office or whatever, This uh, to walk up to this guy and just be like, hey, listen, anybody would have gotten in that bath with that kid. I don't know what you... You can't blame me. And... um I just thought that was very funny. Uh, but one thing I want to push back on you about is the idea that Anne Heche is the one person kind of standing against this, because I do think Lauren Bacall is part of it. And that's one of yeah. the reasons why the I never liked Sean. That made like, me laugh so hard because it literally is one of a two second scene. They cut to it. She goes, I never liked Sean. And then they cut away. A lesser movie would cut that moment uh, yeah. entirely. Yeah. It's it, you're right. It's two seconds long. She's just like almost throws the line away, yes. but it's so important because because, like, it really, to me, and, like, my interpretation of what the movie is, really underlines the fact that she is not a believer. Oh, you know, no, I, like, I, I agree I almost that. don't care if you were, Sean, because I don't like you if you are. Like, yeah. Oh, I love the degree to which she hates that kid is so pure and so wonderful. I also love... She's the type of atheist that's like, if God exists, I don't want a part any part of it. I love how much this movie does not require you to sympathize with this kid at all. This movie is like, yeah, I bet you hate this kid. I kind of hate this kid too. Like, And apparently the movie was initially going to be, from his perspective, he was going to be the protagonist, and they overhauled it like... Weeks before That's, it started. That could not, I could not imagine a more different movie than one. Like, it's everything is different about the movie if it's coming I from I can't imagine overhauling this movie before they made it, because, like, just on a craft level, yeah. this is a very um, imposing movie. In that, like, everything seems so intentional. Like, even if you don't get it, I don't think you can really argue that this movie is just, like, fucking around. Like... Every shot, every cut feels like, you know, an immense amount of thought has gone into it. Like, I don't know. There's something to the way, like, certainly not the visual style of it, but there is something a little Hitchcockian about this movie that, like... Sure. Oh, yeah. All of the narrative pieces go into this kind of uh, very dark psychological study that, you know... Yes. It just doesn't seem like the type of thing that they're like, you know what, let's correct course on this and, you know, yeah. 
have to come up with whole other shots and locations. It's and just, blah, blah, it's, blah, blah, blah. Abs- it's com- a complete 180 psychologically from, uh, from what the movie that we get. It's so important to right. us that we don't know, we don't have any kind of in to this character. It's so, it's so crucial. It's, and I think that's why a lot of people who don't like this movie to the extent that they didn't like it in 2004, I think they get hung up because of that, because we don't really have an in with this character, because it just like, if you're not engaging with it on like, n- not to be shitty, but like, if you're not engaging with it on the level that you and I are right now in this discussion, yeah. and I think the fans of the movie are, you're just going to be like, oh, it's this like mystic child who like seems like this spiritual being you know like you're just gonna i I don't blame people because the movie doesn't hold your hand i think it's very easy to fall into that trap with this i don't blame people for following that path either because the movie does set up this idea of i don't blame people for wanting to follow the plot thread because it's just like this movie does set itself up with a very intriguing plot uh point of what's going on here and you and i don't i wouldn't like it if the movie was so hostile to the idea of wanting to find out and i don't think the movie is necessarily hostile to the idea of wanting to find out what's going on i don't think it's particularly interested in like that's not what it's most interested in and so i don't blame people for watching the movie and just being like oh i guess this thing that I cared about is not ultimately what the movie cares about. And here is where we part ways. You and Jonathan Glazer and me. And, um, (laughs) and that's fine. I don't necessarily, I don't think it makes the movie bad, but I also, I don't blame an audience for being like, well, fuck my drag essentially just walking out of there. And it's like, okay. I think ultimately whatever the intention is behind the movie or whatever your interpretation of the movie is, the endpoint is a pretty harsh, like audience distancing. Uh, Are you talking about the scene conclusion. on the beach, or or where it leaves? I'm off just with saying. Him? I'm just saying where you're going to come out the other side of this thing, whatever you think the movie is ultimately about. Like, it's not. You're not going to think something warm and cozy at the end of this movie. No. Like this is no, no. Um. So like, yeah, I, I'm with you in that. Like, you know, if this is just not your cup of tea, I understand. What I don't understand i mean like what i don't have patience for are the people at the time that thought that this was some type of pedophile i mean that seems a very like a very juvenile way of of reacting to this movie like i I mean like you watch you watch that scene and like it's so there's nothing titillating about that that there's nothing scandalous there's nothing exploitive about that at all at all no i mean it's shit you could see in a home alone movie right in terms of like what are you actually like what is visually on screen but also like when they're together it's so obviously shot with body doubles and green screen like or like a spliced image right if that's your concern if your concern is that cameron bright is being exploited in the making of this movie then that you haven't seen the movie right right yeah um he really is a uniquely uh off-putting cinematic presence can we say that? Can we say that about Cameron Bright twenty almost twenty years later? I, I do believe that he has had a tortured history, so we don't, you know, we don't want to. Uh, I'm not piling on. I'm just saying talk shit about. I'm, him. But he does have a unique um, presence. It works think, for this movie. This I don't think it like. Time? I don't think it works against this movie. I think it works for this movie. 
Right, right. Because well, no, because there was also this movie Godsend, which I think is an Antichrist movie. He was in the Butterfly Effect, but like he he was kind of became quintessential for like creepy kid. He's in a movie I talk about a lot that hardly anybody has seen, I think, called Running Scared, which is uh, Paul Walker and Vera Farmiga. And it's one of those... Paul Walker, like, goes down on Vera Farmiga, right? Yes, that is a one thing uh, from this. They they are a... Uh, they're married, and Cameron Bright plays their neighbor, this sort of, like, kid of a Russian immigrant neighbor who's, like, part of, like... If not part of the Russian mob, just, like, a street thug part of some sort of gang or whatever. And the father gets killed or or something terrible happens to him and the kid saw something and so now the mob is after the kid and it becomes this sort of like winding long dark night of the soul for paul walker who's got to protect this kid and he runs afoul of the mob and and it's sort of this like the city be- it's like hyper violent right hyper violent but also like the city becomes this like Sort of, we were talking about Hannah when we were uh, in our Chesil Beach episode about how, like, in Hannah, all of a sudden, um, that movie becomes like a funhouse mirror Alice in Wonderland kind of thing of just like this environment isn't real, this thing that we're sort of moving through. And in Running Scared, like, the city becomes a dark cartoon nightmare of like a black light uh, uh, imagery and, and, dark corners and everything is really heightened. And at one point Cameron Bright gets seemingly, we think rescued by this couple played by Elizabeth Mitchell and Bruce Altman, who literally like out of a Hansel and Gretel fairy tale story become this like nightmare child abductors who like lock him in a cage in their home among all the other children that they've abducted it's a wild fucking movie movie for it's so good it's so like i caught it on cable one night on like hbo or showtime or something like that late one night and i was like what is this movie i don't i think i maybe remember hearing about a little bit but like what's going on i caught it early enough that i was like i'll watch it and i was could not like if even if I was tired, I wasn't going to be able to fall asleep because I was so like locked into this movie. It was really amazing, uh, and so now I will like evangelize this movie to any and all who will listen. Um, but Cameron Bright again plays this kind of uh, affectless kid who you know Paul Walker is projecting onto the fact that he's like I got to protect this kid because he reminds me of my I don't kid. Think it harms this movie that he like his his cinematic vibe is creepy kid. Yeah. But, like, I do wonder if it, you know, was maybe a little bit more of a cypher kid instead of uh, maybe a creepy kid if people... But he brings that vibe into he's in the one X-Men movie. He's sort of like that. He's in the Twilight movies and he's kind of like that, even though he's a bit older in that. Like, it's just sort of a vibe. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about Anne Heche now. <laughs> this is our first Anne Heche is great in this movie. This is our first Anne Heche movie, although I'm positive I have advanced my opinion before that she is one of the five best actresses of my lifetime. Like she's so talented. And she's, you know, screw loose and she's a kook and and she's got, you know, obviously like I don't want to make light of the fact that like she's got problems. She's had she's been upfront, you know, at times in her life about the fact that she's uh, got problems, but she's also just a real kind of a live wire of a person. And 
I love that about her. But I also just feel like if we treated her on the level as we do all these other sort of like great actresses that we have, I think more people would realize just what an insane amount of talent she has and how incredibly just Mm – skillful she is at playing the type of actress who can just show up in a movie like this and you know that something is uh amiss she's both a personality actress and a skill actress and sometimes you don't get you usually get one or the other right you get an actress an actor or actress who is just so charismatic on the screen they jump off of the screen and they're a star and they their magnetism will pull you through any role that they're in and that is valuable and great and i love that and then there are other actors who are who show up and they work right and they burrow Mm -hmm. their way into a character and they find the little niches and crevices and whatnot and and they captivate you in that way and i honestly feel like she's one of the few people who does both she has such a natural charisma and a natural sort of magnetism to her and yet she's so good at burrowing into these roles and these sort of uh, and she's always almost for a very sliver, small sliver of time, she was playing leads, right? Her Six Days, Seven Nights, uh, Psycho remake, mm-hmm. Return to Paradise era, where she got a little bit of time to play some leads. But usually she's playing supporting characters. This role reminded me, again, sorry to be the, you know, the fool who got horror vibes from this, but like it reminded me of her role in I Know What You Did Last Summer a little bit. <laughs> where all of a sudden. I always forget she's in I Know What You Did Last Summer. One of the best parts of I Know What You Did Last Summer is all of a sudden she shows up. And uh, you know, in this movie, you get her at the very beginning and she's always hanging out in the back of your head about like, we got to figure out why Anne Hayes was burying that box in the, in the park, right? Like what's, mm-hmm. what's happening there? And so by the time she shows up again, you're like, I knew it. I knew she was going to be important to what's happening in this movie. And I literally jotted down, by the time she's in that scene, I said, can you imagine anything more terrifying than Anne Heche knowing exactly what a little liar you are? And it's just like, the way she looks through this kid when she shows up at that door, it's so exciting. I, I That was the part where I was kind of like pumping my fist and just being like, get his ass. It was great. Well, there's the scene where you, like, think that she's going to, like, punch this yes. kid in the lobby of this apartment building. And then another family comes in and, it's, like, they break apart. And she's like, hi. 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 How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Have a good day. But, yeah, you really do think she's going to beat the shit out of this kid. I love her so much in this movie. She's so great. She's spectacular. Um, Her career at that point, this was sort of a... uh, If not exactly a uh, rebirth, no pun intended... uh. This was post Ellen DeGeneres, post Call Me Crazy. That was the night, the title of her memoir, where mm-hmm. uh, where right before 9-11, I remember, there was a lot of sort of tabloidy news stuff about, you know, Celestia and, you know, all of the, you know, kind of wild stuff that came out. We need to write a potentially insensitive, like, what was going on in celebrity culture around 9-11? I always, I always want to, because it's Anne Heche Celestia, it's Chandra Levy, remember the, the Washington intern who had gone missing, and there was that whole, uh-huh. like, that was like, I always... It's glitter. Gl- I mean, glitter is technically after, yes, but glitter. Yes, there was a whole, yeah, everything that we were talking about, we immediately stopped talking about. But so... After that, after the Ellen breakup and the Celestia thing, um, she was a little, she was kind of nuclear, right? Where, you know, she wasn't really getting Mm -hmm. cast and things. I remember she had been on 
Everwood. When was she on Everwood? It was like, it was around this time, actually, 2004 to 2005. She had like a guest run on Everwood as a love interest for Treat Williams' character, and I really liked her. And, um, and so around the time of, no, I'm getting things mixed up. Sorry, because one of the, the, that initial run of, of fame for her was the, Donnie Brasco, Volcano, Wag the Dog, Six Days, Seven Nights, Psycho remake, like that whole thing. And that was 97, 98. Mm -hmm. And that was when she was like on the cusp of – she wasn't in the supporting actress conversation for things like Wag the Dog and Donnie Brasco, but she she wasn't not. Like I think she got a critic's prize for Donnie Brasco. Uh, At least I think National Board of Review? So like ultimately – by the time it things got like got to like Golden Globes and and SAGs and Oscars, she wasn't really in that uh, uh, in that realm anymore. But like she was on the outskirts of that conversation. That was very exciting. And so this 2004 is this kind of like second wave of her, where it's just like she gets a she's um, uh, in that movie John Q with uh, with Denzel Washington. She's oh in Birth. She's in uh, like I said, she's on Everwood. She was on. Uh, Nip Tuck for a short little uh, stint there. She was on Ellie McBeal for a short little stint there. So she never quite recaptured that feeling of late 90s, like, oh, she's going to be a thing. And whenever you would see her then in the like 2000s and onward, it would always be a little bit of a, like when you see... Like, when Ali Sheedy would show up sort of later in her career, and you'd just be like, oh, remember mm-hmm. her kind of a thing. She can still bring it, but you're not going to see her more than, like, once every couple of years in a movie. Which is a super bummer, because, again, she's so talented. She's so incredibly wildly talented. We love Anne Heche. And again, of course, as I uh, must bring up, she is one of my... Top five, and that's probably even underselling it, great soap opera to movie success stories of my entire life. (laughs) She was like, when I first, first ever started watching soaps with like my grandma when I was a kid, she played twins on Another World. And I was actually talking about this on Twitter somewhat recently because I've gotten into... One of my weird Twitter binges is I've been watching like old, old, old episodes of Another World that are on YouTube just to sort of like wind down and do nothing and, you know, play games on my phone or whatever. And she played twins on Another World where, of course, one was the good one and one was the wild one, right? And so they differentiated this by Vicky, who was the wild one, wore, they literally decked her out in neon orange and green and pinks and sort of just like just the actual like nerf football colored like neon that she would be wearing <laughs> and and that was Vicky and Marley who was the good one would be in literal beige just like actual taupe you know what i mean just like just could not just like bland as you please and the original banger sisters pretty much exactly and like Vicky would like hop from man to man and she you know maybe lied about who fathered her baby and she's oh, sort of like, you know, causing trouble and, and, and defying her mother. That was the other thing is um, Marley, the good one grow up, grew up thinking her mother was her sister. Donna was her mother and they were sisters and they were in a very wealthy family and they had stables and whatever. And then it was discovered when Vicky came to town, 
who's this other person who looks exactly like Marley? Well, Donna had Vicky and Marley as a young girl who got pregnant by the stable boy. And then her father, her rich, wealthy father, made made her give away. They gave away the one twin and told her she died. And the other one she raised as her sister. And so Vicky comes to town and it all blows up and whatever. And it's terribly exciting and whatever. And Anne Heche won an Emmy Award, I'm pretty sure, won a Daytime Emmy Award for this, and then immediately um, left to, like, greener pastures. And I think that was when she got... uh, No, because Walking and Talking isn't until the late 90s, and she left another world in the early 90s. But anyway... um, She's so good in Walking and Talking. She's so... That's the thing is, she's never bad. She's never... She's Todd Field licks her armpit, right? Or does something with her armpit? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The uh, the 90s were very armpitty because there's also flirting with disaster. Also that. Uh Walking and Talking one of the great movies. She and Catherine Keener play um one of the great best friend pairs ever. Anyway, I I could go on and on all day about uh Anne Heche. One of my favorite um I f- got to interview her at TIFF the one year and I was just her and oh, her and Sandra that. O together and it was my favorite experience ever. It was just so wonderful and um, they were so fun together, and yeah. Anyway, for that movie where they like fight. Yes, yeah, cat fight. What is the movie called? Cat fight. Isn't like fight. In it's the called title? cat fight. Oh, yes, cat. yeah, yeah. Of course. It's called um, which I thought was pretty interesting. A lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Interesting time for Lauren Bacall because she's also coming off doing Dogville, Dogville. with Nicole Kidman. Well, and Dogville was released in the states in '04, right? It was it was a Canon yes, '03, early '04, yeah. Canon '03. Yeah. Um, she's terrifying in Dogville, as is a lot of, as are a lot of people. She's not even the scary role in Dogville, but, like, she's so, everybody is so insidiously threatening. Patty's the Patty's the overtly scary one. But, like, everybody in Dogville is, like, low-key scary, which I kind of, which is, you know, why you love Dogville. Um, she's so, uh dry she's so dry in this movie it's really amazing every line reading has this sort of just like just absolute like sandpaper quality to it in the best way or it's just like she is going to it's this is why i call her the non-believer this is why she is perfectly cast in this role there is not you cannot budge this woman she is holding firm she rules the room and it's like the time that you feel that she has lost the room is that scene i was talking about the santa claus scene where it's just like i don't think it even really cuts to her that much or it doesn't feel like it does and it's like everybody else is kind of if not wowed everybody else is at least opening to the idea that this child could be shot. There's also the scene spectacular. There's also the scene almost towards the end of the it's it's after I think I've never liked Sean, right? Where it's where Allison Elliott's character has the baby and Kidman's in the hospital sort of looking Maybe in. Maybe that's Sean. And she just and and Bacall sort of like sidles up next to her and playing her mother and just goes, Maybe that's Sean. And it's so dry and so cutting and I uh, and so mean. Yeah. But it's also like, maybe that's a sign that there's a guy. But it's so mocking. Know, like, it's so, like, dryly mocking. It's so great. It's just like, hey. As only Lauren Bacall can yeah. do. Uh, we who love uh, 
actresses being shady. I think we as a culture have forgotten what Lauren Bacall said at the press conference for this in Venice because someone's like asking Nicole a question and uh, Nicole a question and they're like, so you're a living legend, blah, blah, blah. And Lauren Bacall pipes in and says, no, she's a beginner. <laughs> I'd never heard of that. That's fantastic. Good for her. I mean, like, I couldn't find video of I'm going to still keep trying to find it to be like, is she joshing or is she actually offended that someone called another called Nicole Kidman a legend in front of her? Um, I don't even know if it's necessarily it. offense so much as just like quiet amusement that somebody would, you know, say something like that to Nicole Kidman with Lauren McCall in the room like that's without without at least being like without a nod. Without a nod down the table towards uh, the the actual living legend, to take nothing away from Nicole, but uh... people did leap on it because, like, this is also kind of how I want to transition into talking about Nicole because people did lead on this, like, you know, and probably read into it as even shadier than it was meant because, like, the turnaround from Nicole Kidman winning her Oscar to people, if not just being sick of her, but people like wanting to turn her into box office poison happened very, very quickly. I, yeah, like, I think it was less the former and more the latter. I think definitely people wanted to push this idea that her movies were were busts, were all busts. Because it was, it was the art house ones didn't make any money. And of course, like, Dogville and Birth and Fur are never going to make any money, so whatever. But the she would then do that. She would do the sort of one for me, one for them thing. She had a hard time balancing her one for them. Were suddenly bad. the number one actress in Hollywood yeah. that everybody is approaching because, like, this is the first movie post Stepford Wives too, yes. and like yes. you want to talk about like prying open that Pandora's box with a fucking crowbar. Stepford Wives and Bewitched, and there was this this run of... And then later Golden Compass, too, where it's just like, she never managed to master the one-for-them part of it. And so the the ones for her sort of then became more glaring for the fact when they would be, you know, really low box office or really weird. She loved making these really challenging and weird and odd movies with different auteurs, and that's why we love her. And ultimately, in the long run... that's where her best work comes from. That's the thing, is ultimately in the long run, I don't care if Stepford Wives is bad and and got terrible reviews and whatever. I cannot watch Stepford Wives. It's a real easy solution for me. And... And same thing with Bewitched. But this is also, like, the dynamic that contributed to Nicole Kidman, long-standing Nicole Kidman fans, being among the most butthurt, including the two of us. Yeah. Oh, no. Absolutely. Um, which is why I am living uh, Sugar Cane style for uh, for this success run of success she's having with being the ricardos because uh, honey miss nicole kidman is here <laughs> and i am living for exactly. it that's sugar cane exactly um, okay but see here's the thing you can i i kind of jockeyed with this in my mind this morning of if nicole kidman has found the best balance between the two now that she has become like prestige television actress that's her version but of the one for for them almost and that is the version of the one for them one for me now yeah. but she's not working the way that she used to at least with these kind of daring auteurs she's always said that she is director driven yeah. and i definitely think 
And she's talked about this in interviews, that working specifically with Kubrick unlocked a lot of things for her and Gus Van Sant. Yeah. But I don't I, – I think there's just less – and less of that now. Well, she's about to do another really classic Nicole Kidman auteur movie with Robert Eggers with The Northman. So, is that going to be that, though? Because her role's going to be small. It does look like she still gets to kind of be glamorous. And it's within this huge ensemble. Whereas, like, when I think of her auteur movies... You're thinking of a Nicole Kidman... She's still the marquee center, star. Yeah, 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 yeah. Movie. No, I get that. Well, and... I mean, you're not wrong there, I guess, but like The Beguiled wasn't that long ago, and she was the lead of that movie, even though there was a big ensemble there. How to Talk to Girls at Parties was not that long ago, and like she's maybe not the lead, but she's very, very highly featured in that movie. Uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Like, this is, I, I, I get what you're saying, whereas on the heels of Goldfinch, Bombshell, Prom, and I know you don't like being the Ricardos, but like I will at least grant you the fact that like I like her in being the Aaron Ricardos. Sorkin is not the kind of auteur we would think of when we think of like the Nicole Nicole's boys essentially with the uh, the you know the um, the Lars von Trier's and and Kubrick's of the world and that kind of a thing. So I do get that. I think her career is ever evolving, and I like that about her. And I think that your your mentioning of her recent TV stuff is important and telling because there she's, you know, big little lies, top of the lake, even the undoing. And I know a lot of people really didn't like the undoing. And I know a lot of people didn't like nine perfect strangers. I ended up liking both of those things. And I think she's very good in the undoing. And I think she's not the thing I would recommend for people with nine perfect strangers. So like Neither one of those are going to be in her, like, top ten career flashbacks, It's you know, at the end of the I day. I mean, most uh, – what I think is true about those things is, like, when Nicole does the populist thing, 75% of the time it's not going to be good. And those – But I think that. if you would – if I would trade – like, if your version in 2020 of Stepford Wives and Bewitched is The Undoing and Nine Perfect Strangers, I think she's leveled up in that way. Right, right. Because it's it's well, because more people. Watch that's them. what I mean. Is more people are watching them. The Undoing was very popular for as much as like people we know sort of turned up their nose at it by the end. Like The Undoing was very popular, and mm-hmm. um, and and Big Little Lies. I think people underestimate how great it was that that, especially in that first season, was so good as it was that was as good as it was incredible. and was as popular as it was. Like that is a show that very easily mm-hmm. could have been overlooked and we could say justice for big little lies and whatever and it it was you know so great i don't know like i think i i I sometimes sort of step back and think about how great that first season was and i think like oh we haven't we you know it got eight bajillion awards and and she won an emmy and whatnot something at that level is that good yeah yes yes where it's like it's so starry it's you know exactly Exactly. For what it is, it is produced with a budget. Yeah. Um, yes. Arguably, I think she's probably never been more popular, just like yeah. in the wider sense. People who, you know, maybe turned her nose at at her, whether it was doing things like Stepford Wise or this during 2004, yeah. definitely are on board with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And that's why I think she's winning this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm still not entirely convinced that Olivia Coleman can't take it, but 
At this point, I'm I think not. it's one of the two. I think we're just at that time where people are bandying about a bunch of ideas. I don't see Olivia Coleman winning. If Olivia Coleman wins SAG, sure, because she did not win SAG for the favorite. So it's like it's very possible that that voting body could be like, well, we haven't given it to her. And, you know, but I still think it's going to be Nicole. I almost want to bet, but I don't want to bet against Nicole. So I'm uh, (laughs) um, listen with uh, Don't Look Up Rising, I am... Uh, I, Meryl's I'm, still not I'm getting nominated, considering bitch. more like, that Meryl might have. No, it's not. If, if if I win that bet, I, I cannot... I will not comfortably accept that money, and I will donate it to some type of charity. Don't Look Up could but. end up getting nine Academy Award nominations. And, and because at the very... You know, at the one who is showing up, weirdly, on long lists and such, is Kate Blanchett, who is... Maybe worse than Meryl in that movie? Uh, no. Yeah, you're no, right. Because I think at least what Kate Blanchett is doing in that movie is a cohesive character. It's so obnoxious. I think she actually though. lands jokes, whereas Meryl, I don't know. If she Meryl's at sea. Joke. Meryl's really at sea in that movie. Kate, you're right. There's intention in Kate. I don't like what she's doing. I think she's. I would rather she not be doing the thing that she's doing in that movie. She's funny with Tyler Perry. They have a really good screen chemistry together. I guess. Um, I guess. There's there's things that I'm like, I I hate the like serious minded Adam McKay movies. I think they are bad for different reasons, but also the same reason, which is Adam McKay thinks everyone is so fucking stupid um, about things that we're not necessarily stupid about. Um, but. I do think Don't Look Up is the most successful of those three. Oh, yeah, we disagree there. I think it's a big step down when you talk about the big short versus the other ones. Like, yeah. In terms of, like, a constructed movie, Adam McKay thinks he's making a fucking Oliver Stone movie, and I think it's embarrassing at some points, but, you know. The things I like in Don't Look Up are, are, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, for the most part, um, and certain things that are sort of offshoots of jennifer lawrence i also think her recurring bit is legit my version of kate blanchett in that movie is jonah hill i think jonah hill is playing an incredibly obnoxious and off-putting character but i think he's doing exactly the thing he should be doing yeah i guess we do really disagree (laughs) all right mark rylance i think is the worst performance in the movie yeah Um, i'll let you have that um Anyway, uh, do you agree with me that Nicole? You're you're saying you think it could be Olivia Coleman? I think it could be Olivia Coleman. I don't think I I'm not. I think it's I think it's going to be a race between the two of them. I do. I think Kristen Stewart Again, will get nominated. Underestimating Gaga. People got really honestly. I shouldn't count out Lady Gaga because everything she's gonna revenant her way to an Oscar because all of this shit about Patrizia, who's not dead, um, <laughs> her spirit sending flies after her, like, and I'm like, it's Does Lady Gaga not know that Patricia Reggiani is um, I know not dead and that she's alive. I know that she's not intentionally doing a performance art of an Oscar campaign, and yet what she's doing she is, is indistinguishable. It's indistinguishable. That's the thing about Lady Gaga is ultimately does intent matter because what she's doing is indistinguishable from a performance art piece of what she's doing. And that's the way it is has been in her career all the time. And it's no more apparent than what she's doing this year with uh, I am I am performing the art of prop drinks of 
campaigning for an Oscar. And it is riveting, absolutely riveting at every turn. I love it so much. This is what makes me think she doesn't necessarily... She's willing to take the risk because she doesn't really want it. I don't think that in A Star is Born was she performing an Oscar campaign. Oh. I do think it now. I don't... Well, I don't know if she... I mean, she was, she but was like performing, the people in a room talking point was... She was performing a different genuine. kind of thing. She was performing ingenue. She was like the, the Venice thing on the boat with whatever. Fair. Like, I do think a hundred people in the room... She's performing... She's performing... High art serious actor. She was performing uh, Girl Discovered on a street corner by an auteur. You know what I mean? Like, that's what she was performing. Right. And this year, she is performing You're Not Wrong About the Revenant. Like, she's performing intense commitment. She's performing Daniel Day-Lewis. She's giving you... She's giving you My Left Foot. She's giving you... Um, Leo and the Revenant. She's like that is what she is performing. She is it's uh, it's realness in a different way. And I think if she gets nominated a third time, she'll be performing a different flavor of that. Maybe she'll be performing, you know, a career achievement or or whatever. But like it's always something, and it's always, as I say, so entertaining. And so even if I don't <laughs> think she actually, I actually don't think she's that good in House of Gucci. Um, although I do think I, I jive with the people who are like, she's completely dead behind the eyes. And I'm like, she's still yeah. giving me as, as I say with Jared Leto as well. Uh, she's, they're giving me what I wanted when I walked into that movie. And I wish the rest of the movie were on their level more often. Um, but I still, if she wins best actress, I am going to like arch a confused eyebrow. And yet, I shouldn't underestimate it because she has been. The speech is going to be so good. (laughs) I I really hope that like Lady Gaga could not be here tonight to accept her award for her. Please welcome to the stage Joe Calderon. Right. I'm not, not, I'm not ruling it out. I rule out nothing at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I do. I am wavering a little bit that being the Ricardos could be a best picture nominee, but I think that's because the tenor around that movie is all centered kind of around Nicole Kidman. People, I mean, like Javier Bardem getting the SAG nomination, I think, is a big indicator, though. And I and I will keep saying, I agree. If I was, I think I would agree with you more if I did not see that movie in a screening room packed with guild members who were falling off of the rafters enjoying that movie like i'm not saying it's not gonna happen i feel slightly less convicted about it because the conversation around that movie is all around her and i ultimately think if it's not a best picture nominee it might actually like you know help steer voters who like that movie in her direction so it's like i don't think it would hurt her here's what i will say and i said this to you and katie in our group chat uh the other day is of being the Ricardos, the Lost Daughter, and House of Gucci, one of those three will be a Best Picture nominee. And if it's only one of them, I think that ends up being like a huge indicator of where uh, voter sympathies will lie. I I I think I agree with the logic of that, though. I do think being the Ricardos and Lost Daughter are in Best Picture at this point. Um, here, I mean, okay, so we can talk a little bit about this because we haven't really brought this up of people being kind of like meh about meh or outright like rolling their eyes at Nicole Kidman getting a second Oscar for this movie. Well, that's dumb because she deserves to have two Oscars by now. 
This is my whole thing with... <laughs> but I mean, this like, is my... but the, he, this is why it's interesting to talk about this with birth, because I think what people want is they want her to have a second Oscar for something like birth. They want her to and win it's... an Oscar for something that they like and the dumb masses don't. And that's never going to happen. As weird as Oscar was ever going to get with Nicole Kidman is Moulin Rouge, and that's a musical. Right. It's the weirdest musical ever made. Right. It's a miracle that Oscar fell in love with that movie. Right. But she's never going to get an Oscar for the thing that you love that makes you feel smarter than other people. It's just not, that's not how it works. That's not why people love something like Birth. Calm down. I'm not even necessarily talking about birth, but I don't think I'm wrong. I think a lot of people want their faves to win Oscars for things that flatter them as fans. Well, I mean, or things that are just, like, cool. Yeah. Like, I get it, but, like, I don't think it's, you know... I think that's I, I think I think cool is 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 the right way to put it. And I, I think that's sort of what I'm saying is the thing about Nicole Kidman, though, is that, like, I think most of her best work comes from the more daring work than the like conventional Hollywood embrace thing. So it's like I do kind of get. But when we say you know, daring, what we mean is what is when we say daring, what is she risking? She's risking the disapproval of a sector of people. She's risking not everybody getting that's it. That's not how I was using it. Well, what is, I would well, think then like what is, daring, what, she's doing something more outre, something a little bit more outside the lines of conventionality. But when we say it's daring, though, what is the dare? What is, you're risking something when something is daring. And what are, uh, I don't know, what are you risking? I don't think it's about likability. I think it's about, you know taking a creative risk i would say like something like birth where it's like the camera is on her for however many minutes and it's just her face and she her body is barely moving but she has to convey this kind of seismic mental leap that this character is making that's daring like that's hard that's like acting without a safety net you know she could have fallen flat on her face you know, but like Nicole Kidman is that level of actor that she can be tasked with something right. that is that challenging and achieve it. And that's what I mean by daring. All right. I won't I won't disagree. This is, this is why we defend this is why we defend Julianne Moore's Oscar win as like a good Oscar win for her, because like she has to convey like there's the stuff where in uh, in Still Alice where like her physical capabilities are starting to degrade, but that's not what's so impressive about that performance. It's like her ability to communicate, you know, what she's losing. That's so impressive. And that's what's interesting about that. Performance. Right. But a lot of people didn't like that Julianne Moore won her Oscar for that because it was not something that, because it was something that could be interpreted as appealing to people's sentimentality. And people but don't. We've, we've, I think, eloquently argued why people are wrong about right. that. Right. I, and I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, I think in the broader sort of like, why are people resi- like resistant to the idea of winning her second Oscar for something like being the Ricardos? And it's, I think, the same impulse is people don't like the idea that their fave would win for something that is as base to be uh, sentimental or. Uh, appealing to people's sense of Hollywood nostalgia or Or appealing to like a lazy voting behavior. I mean, my thing of why I'm okay with it 
for this performance for that I think is a good performance in a movie that I don't think is good is like it does feel like a movie star performance Very much so. and like she is a movie star yeah. and it's also at this register that I tend to prefer Nicole Kidman where it's like she's using the lower register of, of her voice she's excellent at playing an asshole she's abrasive I like when she gets to be that way like and usually you see it in something like Margot at the wedding or eyes wide yeah. shut and not this super conventional thing like being the Ricardos but like yeah. it's something I think is underappreciated about her as a performer that I did like how it was utilized in this and I think she's in that mode more often maybe even more often than not where she's in this mode where she risks unlikability or she risks sort of you know the audience not quite connecting with her on a you know on every level you know even something like rabbit hole where she's playing this grieving mother and so of course our sympathies would go to her automatically and yet there are scenes with her and Eckhart where she's it's you know her character is being incredibly difficult to fully get on board with is she pushing him away what's going on what's happening and and I think you see that through line in a lot of her performances and especially her best performances uh, you know something like you know you're it applies to birth it applies to dogville it applies to um i mean i don't i've lost my ability to to put myself in the shoes of anybody else when they're watching the hours so like i can't really speak to whether that applies <laughs> to the hours at all um to die for obviously we got a really... 20th anniversary this year of the hours and listen chris it's like... can i tell you I don't even know if I should like. This is probably for a off podcast conversation. The d- you can cut it out of the, the audio. D- whatever. Like I'll keep it in. We're all we're all friends here. Uh, the degree to which I am experiencing vapor lock when it comes to the fact that I know I should be thinking of the hours anniversary stuff to pitch to various freelance outlets, and I am just at a loss as to what that should be. Because I'm, I feel so much pressure of just like it's, it's your time, honey. Like step into the spotlight, and it's just like I don't know what it should be. Because like, I'll just say it. I guess we're all friends here. Is like, there's not a whole. I mean, there's a lot of straight male editors out there <laughs> that you have to do pitching to, and they don't fucking get it. And like. They don't get why this movie connects with people. They think that it's just Oscar bait from 20 years ago. They don't see this movie as having the life that it has. And like that, it just, uh, it's, it's one of my frustrations about a lot of things that I would like to write about. And like, I have no illusion that I will get to write about the hours this year. I also, it's the realization that like, I need to pitch something that goes beyond nobody loves the hours as much as I love the hours. Like I, it's got to be more than that. So I've got to like I gotta I really got to sit myself down in like sensory deprivation. It it where I you know I allow my mind to really explore the space of what I want to uh, ultimately write about the hours because ultimately it is a movie I love and it is a movie I love evangelizing, but it also feels very very much mine. Like I you know <laughs> I want it I I hold it close to me as you know which makes me a big old dork but uh it is nonetheless true it is my favorite movie. Anyway, right. those of us who want to like, you know, get work talking about this movie, it's hard to like find a thing 
that's if anybody wants to pay Chris and I to do a ten part podcast series about the hours to commemorate its anniversary, get at us because we'll do right it. now. We could hop off this call and start another call, and we could do it. We right could now. do it right now. Like honestly pay us and we'll do it and we'll do it great and people will love it um anyway back to birth um who else can we talk Excellent about movie. in this movie i really like the cast it's a really fantastic nicole cast. Kidman got a globe nomination we should, we should say throw that. that out there that it did you know, one of the more interesting golden globe sort of uh, lineups in terms of how they filled out the actresses who didn't get oscar nominations the only uh, Oscar nominee from 2004 who didn't get a Globe nomination was Catalina Sandino Moreno. Um, otherwise, Swank won drama, Benning won comedy, uh, Winslet was nominated in comedy for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Benning won comedy for Being Julia, I should say. I shouldn't assume that people know. Remember that that was the year of Being Julia. We literally talked about that last episode. We did. Kate Winslet nominated for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Imelda Staunton, which was her big, like, Judy Dench and Mrs. Brown style uh, breakthrough into the States where all of a sudden uh, people knew who now, you know, Imelda Staunton's name in Vera Drake. Um, and then the Globes in drama went with Scarlett Johansson in a love song for Bobby Long, a, a movie we did 8 billion years ago. And I don't even remember what we said about it. Um, Nicole in birth, Uma Thurman in Kill Bill volume two, her second consecutive golden globe nomination for that role. And then in comedy, uh, another one we did, Ashley Judd and DeLovely. We've talked to, we've definitely talked about the O4 Globes a bunch. Um, Emmy Rossum in Phantom of the Opera. You know, I have a soft spot for Emmy Rossum, but she is not particularly great as Christine in Phantom of the Opera. And then Renee Zellweger in Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. That movie was pretty maligned, right? Or am I wrong? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. That's the Bridget Jones sequel where she, uh, broke down palace style is, in a prison in the South Pacific. Wait, and what? Like, yes. No. I did yes. not know that. She teaches all of her fellow prisoners no. uh, Madonna songs. No. It's bad, man. It's, 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 it's. I had it's, no idea that's what the plot of Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason was. And it's not like this movie sequel that just, like, is doing, like, bad stuff, like Sex in the City 2. This is a plot line from the book. Oh, they God. could have cut it out <laughs> of the movie when adapting it. And oh they kept my it. God. That's yes. amazing. So of Bridget Jones's Baby is a great sequel, though, I will say that. <laughs> Bridget Jones's Baby makes up for Edge of Reason. I haven't seen neither Edge of Reason or Bridget Jones's Baby, but I believe you. And Bridget I... Jones's Baby has like fifteen Ellie Golding <laughs> needle drops. It's it's exactly what you think it is, and it is delicious candy. I'm sad that Bridget Jones, in jumping from '04 to whatever year Bridget Jones's Baby was, fifteen, fourteen, whenever, sure, um, missed the KT Tunstall area era. Um, that is true. That's a bummer because uh, she would have been perfect for it. Okay, so. Obviously, I mean, there really should be like a Natasha Bedingfield jukebox musical that's also the Bridget Jones musical. Yes, you're not wrong at all. If they're not going to do a Natasha Bedingfield jukebox musical that is um, The Hills, then uh, yes, <laughs> it should be that. Um, so obviously, you feel like Nicole Kidman in Birth should have been an Oscar nominee. Who do you bump out of that Oscar field to make room for her? 
I don't love that Oscar field. Um, I think it's a good one. I think I disagree with you. I think no, no. I you're right. I do like that Oscar field, but the the answer is easy, and I, this performance is the reason why my mind tells me bad Oscar lineup. Uh, it's an Epping. Yeah, unfortunately, I know. It is okay, people have yelled at me to rewatch that movie. Really? Who? I've never heard of anybody who has like remembers being Julia in any way. That's so funny. I've had multiple gay people wow. be like, you're wrong about being Julia. I'm like, I'm sure I We am. all have Thank our you. own experiences, man. I don't think it's bad. It's, I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad performance. I just don't think it in any way rises to the level of uh, Oscar nominee. And it's very funny that we all collectively decided that it would be because Hillary Swank real needed a challenge. get in there for overdue people. Yeah, I think Swank and Million Dollar Baby is good. Probably not worthy of winning, but no. Um, like Winslet and Eternal Sunshine probably gets my Oscar that year. Um, but yeah, I think I think Benning and Being Julia is the one that falls away. I think Imelda Staunton rules in Vera Drake. I love Catalina Sandino Moreno and Maria Full of Grace. I think that's a great performance. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see if who I have now. Give me half a second. To pull up my little uh, Word document. Certainly safe to say that I would have Winslet and Kidman in there. Let me see if I have some ancient docu- doc that I haven't updated in <laughs> a decade. O four is one of my secretly awesome uh, movie years that uh, I feel like people don't talk about enough in that it was really kind of stacked with greatness that you don't necessarily see when you look at the Oscar nominations that year, even though... I think those are largely pretty okay. Oscar nomination. I don't know. Like Johnny Depp and Fighting Neverland's a pretty bad nomination. Um, I don't know. They're okay, but like there was more going on in 04 with things like I Heart Huckabees and Born Supremacy and and uh, oh, now I gotta look up. You know what's weird about that Globe lineup though, because like clearly they're reaching for drama nominees, but they didn't nominate julia roberts for closer which like people forget how she i wouldn't say she got the brunt of negativity towards that movie but like there were even people who liked what clive owen and natalie portman were doing that would i roll julia roberts in the same breath but she's quite good i think she's great in it in fact as i'm looking at my nominees for this year she's there she's in my she's in my top five it's uh winslet sandina moreno Imelda Staunton, Nicole Kidman for Dogville is my Nicole Kidman that year, mm. and Julia Roberts for Closer. I, w- I would be not at all upset with Nicole for Birth. I think I was just sort of planting my flag that I was a, I was a Dogville person rather than a Birth person, which probably says a lot about me um, uh, <laughs> that year. But yes. Um, loved Uma and Kill Bill Volume 2, but by then I was like, I'm a Kill Bill Volume 1 boy. So... Um, person i have that you haven't mentioned is julie delpy before sunset oh that's a good one that's a very cool uh nomination i like that a lot yeah before sunset's another one of those movies i know that got a screenplay nomination but like um there was just a lot of really kind of uh cool things even down to like I know I like Shaun of the Dead a lot more than you do, but like Shaun of the Dead, Bad Education. That was the year that Hero mm-hmm. uh, made its way into American theaters. Um, Tarnation, that documentary that I really loved. I know we've all 
Primer is a weird one to talk about now because Shane Carruth is a yeah. terrible person, but I loved Primer and I think it was uh, really fantastic. Um, this was a big Fox searchlight year with uh, Sideways and Huckabees and uh, obviously Focus Features had uh, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. It was a it was a really interesting year. Um, and it's a kind of a bummer to me when I look and see like Finding Neverland gets a Best Picture nomination, and I was just like, God damn it! There were so many good things that year. <laughs> what are you doing, taking this, up a spot? I was gonna say this is a Fine Line release, as Fine Line basically oh, yeah. died, and they had like they never really because they were like the I guess indie label for New Line, which itself was like kind of for a while it was indie. This is post. Um, you know, Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. Yeah. So, um, but like they, Fine Line got like the Shine Best Picture nomination. Um, but this year they have, in terms of like a, a good Oscar lineup, but also like movies that people were talking about. They have American Splendor, Elephant, the Palm Door winner. Yeah. Um, Maria Full of Grace. A Dirty Shame, John Waters' final film, um, Vera Drake, Birth, and The Sea Inside. Well, American Splendor and Elephant were, were O3 movies, but yes. Oh, O3. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong dates. But yes, they have. Maria Full of Grace, in, like, Vera Drake, Sea Inside all had their Oscar uh, moments. So yeah, that was you know a, a decent way to go out. Fine Line, again, is one of those um, sort of indie labels that I don't really think about anymore because they have gone away, but like they had a good, they had a good thing going for a while. They, um, they were, and again, a lot of these were like co-production with new line. There was like the line between new line and fine line was always kind of a little blurry sometimes, but, um, Mm -hmm. Hedwig, the anniversary party, these were fine line movies. Um, a lot of the fine line movies have had like rights and availability issues, which is so interesting to me because I'm surprised I'm, Surprised that some of these movies don't show up more often on HBO Max, but, like, Birth is always one that people want to see in the Criterion Collection because, like, even the rentable version of this movie looks kind of dingy. Like, this movie needs a remaster. Yeah. But... I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten it because it is such a fave of, you know, the Criterion-type crowd. I mean, I, here's the thing. Even if a movie becomes like kind of a cult classic or a reassessed movie, like I was saying with all those straight male editors, not to sound like I'm just talking talking points, but like it really is an uphill climb to get some movies a certain assessment because like if the cult surrounding a reassessed movie or a new cult classic is a lot of queer people, they think it doesn't exist. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I feel like there's there's a good number of movies that are, you know, supported Earth may not by be queer one of those people, movies, but, but um, like Young Adult is one of those movies. Yeah, can't tell you how many times I've pitched Young Adult and people are like, "No, this is not a thing," mm. and I'm like, "Okay, that's silly. So. That's silly." Um, I want to go through the rest of this cast for a second though, because I do think it's a really um really interesting cast kind of top to bottom every role i think yeah. is cast really well um Allison Elliott who is one of those actors who i never recognize by their face but when i see her name i'm like oh right from the wings of the dove like she was so <laughs> um so good and she's like everybody kind of takes the back seat to helena in in the wings of the dove but um 
She got a little bit of awards attention, I remember, for that movie. She's BAFTA nominated? I'm pretty sure. Uh, she, When she showed up in this movie, my immediate thought was, and maybe it's because of the Nicole rabbit hole thing, but I was like, 10 years from now, this role would be played by Tammy Blanchard. Like, that is the Tammy Blanchard <laughs> role in the movie. And um, uh, I almost wanted to sort of, like, time machine it to the future and uh, and get there. Um but I like her. Arliss Howard is always going to be one of my faves. Uh, longtime spouse of uh, Deborah Winger. Um, so great in oh, what the hell was the uh, that AMC show about the code breakers that now I'm going to forget um, the title of. Oh, it was so good. Anyway, um, Kara Seymour, who uh, was sort of having a moment in the early 2000s. I feel like you Thank mentioned you. I'm having my eggs hard. You mentioned you've got mail, but she's also in uh, adaptation around that time and a few other things. But uh, Rubicon, Rubicon is the Arliss Howard show I was thinking of. Anyway, I've never heard of this television program. Oh, it was really good. Uh, James Badgedale is in it, and uh, Miranda Richardson is in it. Um, quite good quite quite good it's very sort of like paranoid thriller but uh uh super fantastic also um you watched smash yes um the guy who plays angelica houston's husband in smash isn't it he's sort of the at some point i i I always have to remind the world i still haven't seen smash that's wild to me that you have not seen smash i know not that like you need to to be a complete person although arguably but like you just de- demographically you f- you fit the profile is what I would say. I know I do. I know I do. Anyway, anyway, what else do we want to say about Bert? Bert. Bert. Yeah. Bert. Um, it is the opposite of I want to move to New York movie. Um, it's like. The the like anti New York movie to me. I want that apartment um, though. I want that apartment she lives in with her mother so bad. The like duplex Upper West Side. I'm very much in my Upper West Side moment. I realize that I just want to be a, a middle aged rich person living on the Upper West Side, and I'm sorry, but I won't apologize for it. Um, they keep cutting to this one shot, and I tweeted it today because I was like, where is this? Where it's like. The street sort of curves and you can see there's like a highway, like an on-ramp to, I'm pretty sure the FDR, and there's like a roundabout. And it also, though, like the park is like on the other side of the roundabout. So I'm like, is it at like one of the corners of the park? I don't quite know. I I kept trying to like place it geographically and it was kind of driving me crazy. And I still don't quite know where it is, but um, I'll figure this out. I'll I'll work on it. Maybe by the time this Two people that I really want to bring up that I think they do some of their very best work among amazing careers that like, if we're talking about this in term of Oscar, that when people talk about justice for birth, I feel, I personally feel very strongly, but like the two people I think get bring up, brought up a lot aside from Nicole Kidman are uh, Alexander Plaz score and Harris Savitas as the DP for this movie. Harris Savitas, um, Harris Savitas never got an Oscar nomination, right? Never got an Oscar Which nomination. Which is perverse. Like, Just utterly perverse. It's also why I'm like, this movie needs to be remastered because it's some of his best work. He, like, he was a fucking legend while he was here with us. And, like, the, this movie needs to look better than it does in any available current available form uh, to honor his legacy. This movie is stunning. Birth has at. two um, shots that sort of, that I've seen... Um, 
sort of video essays about the shot type, one of which is the one at the opera where it, you know, we've seen this in a few movies actually now. People sort what of more like. What can you say about that shot that hasn't been said a million People times. coming to great and sometimes painful realizations about themselves and their lives while watching something, often at um, the Metropolitan Opera House in New York City. You could see the fucking reflection of the stage in her eyeballs. It's it's her in this. I often think about uh, Anna Paquin in Margaret, which feels like a uh, an echo of that scene. There are others. Um, and then also, this movie has one of those great, often repeated, but I love it every time, and this one takes a different tone of it, is a person walking down a crowded street in Manhattan, and they sort of are lost among the hubbub, but the camera sort of like keeps keeps on them and you're sort of uh, meant to feel a sense of kind of alienation uh, uh, of them going on. They've, I've seen it referred to as the Tootsie shot because it's mm-hmm. that shot in where they cut to uh, uh, Dorothy Michaels in costume for the first time. And uh, you've seen it in uh, working girl and elf and, uh, and a bunch of movies. And I was, I was sort of surprised and delighted to see it uh, crop, crop up in here because this is a decidedly like less delightful movie, less sort of uh, the tone is definitely a lot different than in Tootsie and Working Girl and, and certainly Elf. Um, but it's it's you interesting mean to say birth is less of a comedy. I'm going to advance that notion. Wow. I am a daring, daring person. Um, but so this movie, you're you know, you're supposed to take something else away from that. So, yeah, uh, he's great. I think about the shot where she appears with the cake and all those candles. Yes. I think about like where he's and, and where I we know a... he's in the hallway of the apartment, but she doesn't because she's turned out the lights and sort of we in the audience now know more than the characters do. And there's a sense of suspense mm-hmm. in that because we know that when the lights turn on, he's just going to be there. And uh, yeah, I love that. The the shot that like we shouldn't have maybe dismissed the uh, the stuff about the bathtub scene because like this isn't a movie like this movie does actually like go there and wants you to be uncomfortable and like is concerned with morality in a certain way but the shot where it's very tight on her face and he reaches up and you see his hands and he has these very small hands um touching her face in this romantic way that's like incredibly jarring and like a, just a very effective shot. Yeah. I agree. It's a And then and then the score. The plot score. Yeah. Which was the first time that I ever remember uh like taking note of the composer's name and like I still think it's one of the best things he's done. Oh, absolutely. I mean the 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 scene at the very beginning with the husband jogging through the park and then he drops dead at the end with that sort of uh, to- tootling uh, uh, flute sort of like a woodwind score is um, it's great. There's as many times in this movie, the score seems to be doing the opposite of what the, what, what the story wants you to feel then. And then sometimes it'll go yeah, with it. It sounds like very four seasons, like spring yes. or something, but it's this snowy. Yeah. It's it's really effective. It's really good. And it basically kind of launched him into this like highest echelon of respect among film composers. Basically all at once. I don't remember. Did he have any big major scores that got attention before this one? There was one, but I think it was also this year and I don't have my Diplot 
tab still open, so let me open that uh-huh. up. But like, yes, this is this is the time that he's like launching into suddenly doing six movies a year and yes. such, and they're all yes. like the big movies, you know. I also want to mention, of course, Jonathan Glazer, who's only at this point directed three feature films. Uh, we'll get his third this or fourth this coming year, supposedly. What is it called? Do you remember? I forget the title. I believe such the circumstances are that, like, it's probably not the title. Oh, uh, Dupla had also done Girl with a Pearl Earring before this. That's right. That's right. I do remember hearing uh, yeah. some praise of that. But yeah, uh, Jonathan Glazer directed Sexy Beast in 2000, Birth in uh, 04, Nothing Until Under the Skin in 2013, which is a really fascinating and wonderful movie. And then he's doing a adaptation of the Martin Amis novel, The Zone of Interest for A24, or at least shot that- in the village of Auschwitz. Oh. I I from what I understand I don't believe it's being filmed in the the grounds of the camps but I believe it's shot in the village. Interesting. So and then of course we, he's a guy who it, ca- sorry finish finish what you were saying. No, I was going to say we can we can anticipate a a heavy movie. Come oh, on. for sure. He's a guy who came from music videos. I love any director. As much as I love an actor who came from soaps, I love a director who comes from the realm of music videos. Um, his big ones, he did a bunch of stuff with Radiohead, including Karma Police, which is the one that I uh, remember most of all. But then also, uh, he's a Video of the Year MTV uh, Video Music Award winner for Jamiroquai's Virtual Insanity, which... Uh, I think most people can sort of picture in their head the thing with the the treadmill floors and all the furniture sort of moving uh, from one side to another. What a fun video. What a great uh, little song. We, you know, it was a nice little moment Jamiroquai had uh, in the culture, I feel like, for a second. Birth. Birth. Incredible movie. Mur- That's like uh, my version of moaning murph into you know the time space continuum no, is me no. you know, going on and on about birth you you in a hospital bed recovering from something or another and just going birth birth <laughs> yeah now this sounds like a more where she's just like constantly yelling hurts hurts <laughs> oh no well hurts. once again we've taken things to a darker place than we wanted to um in the birth episode, who could have predicted who could have predicted this? that? Yeah. Uh, should we move on to the IMDb game then? Yes, let's. Uh, would you like to explain the IMDb game? Sure. Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Fantastic. Would you like to give or guess for first? I think. Would you like to bury the letters in the ground, or would you like to unearth them? <laughs> Excellent choice. Uh, I'll give first. So uh, I went the Nicole Kidman route. We talked earlier about the fact that the same year as Birth was released, she also had The Stepford Wives, which was uh, uh, pretty much a flop. But one of her co-stars, I believe plays her husband in this movie, is Matthew Broderick. Ah, Mr. Sarah Jessica Parker. Indeed. 
Matthew Broderick coming off of the producers, the utter certainty that Matthew Broderick would be a draw for the Stepford Wives because of the producers. No, it's the other way around. Stepford Wives the year before the producers. Oh, uh, coming off of the producers musical, like Broadway version. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. Um, Stepford Wives is way better than people just people just don't know how to have a good time. Stepford Wives is not that bad. I don't remember much about it at all. Beyond the like, I remember what happens in it, but like, I don't remember the experience of watching it. I mean, by t- by two thousand four, no no movies like these are being released. Is the problem because if it was released in the nineties, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. The same exact movie in the nineties, no one would have had a problem with. Right. Um, except for Faith Hill. Faith Hill doesn't need to be in that movie. Anyway, Matthew Broderick, definitely not <laughs> the Stepford Wives, is on there. Uh, I would say Ferris Bueller is. Correct. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I would say Election is. Correct. Election. Now I'm wondering if any of the Lonergans are there. I wonder if Margaret shows up for anybody. Maybe we'll find out soon. Um, I, no, You Can Count On Me is not in there, even though I do think he's billed above the title for that movie. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Is their voice work? No. Okay, so no, no Simba. No Lion King. Yeah. Apparently everything the light touches is not his kingdom. <laughs> um, uh, probably some 80s stuff then when he is the, like, number one build star like like war games war games you are three for three okay i think it's gonna be a bunch of these but not like what was the godfather spoof movie the freshman the freshman's not there um Oh, no, 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 no. I know what it is. It's the cable guy. It's what? The cable guy. It is not the cable guy. Sorry. It should be the cable guy. It's not the cable guy. Uh, One strike. Okay. I don't think it's going to be like Biloxi Blues. Mm. Is it? Is it the producers then? It's the producers. Oh, okay. You you had your finger on it and you and you never uh you never guessed it. I was running out of things to remember that Matthew Broderick <laughs> is in that I said no, it's not that. Yeah. Um yes. Uh I honestly I think that's a pretty well representative known for for Matthew Broderick. Those sure. movies. I think that's pretty good. Cable Guy, yes, could definitely be on there. Um you can count on me Talk to definitely Talk about reassessed movies. Cable Guy is good. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think people really kind of came around to that one uh, after a long, long time. But yes. So for you, uh, we talked about Nicole Kidman being in somewhat of a little odd uh, Golden Globe Best Actress Drama lineup. For you, I have pulled, shockingly, we have not done this performer. I think I know why we haven't, uh, because we used to avoid Marvel movies. I pulled Scarlett Johansson. Nominated that year for a love song for Bobby Long, probably our most forgotten uh, episode that we've done. So you're, I remember things about that movie. If you're picking this, then I imagine there's not more than one Marvel movie there. Don't tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just gonna s- guess that for the moment. We no, we used to just like not do Marvel people 
period, because, like... Right, but the reason being that it's no fun to guess it if you're trying to guess for, you know, Avengers movies or whatever. Um, I think part of the reason, if she is no longer dominated by Marvel movies and her known for, it would be because she got Oscar-nominated for Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit, so I'm going to guess both of those. Uh, no. I will only take that as one guess because I should have told you there is a voice performance on here. It's just not actually credited as a voice performance, which is strange. It's her. Her. Yeah. It's just Samantha, not Samantha voice. So wait, so Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit are both wrong? They're both wrong. Wow. All right. Those are two new. Oh, so I'm going to give, I'm going to count that just as No, those were two guesses. Those were two guesses. Give me my years. Okay. All right. Um, your years are 2003, 2001, and 2012. 2003, 2001, and 2012. 2001, I'm guessing, is Ghost World? It is Ghost World. All right. Good for IMDb. 2003 is Lost in Translation. Yes. And what's the other year? 2012. The Avengers. The Avengers. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's an, what a weird known for. It's an odd known for. It's definitely odd. It's definitely a little I odd. I wouldn't have even predicted that the one Marvel movie that does show up would have been the Marvel movie that showed up. I would because she's more featured in that one, I think, than she is in Ultron. And by the time you get to like Endgame or uh, uh, Endgame and uh and Infinity War, it's just a lo- it's it's too many people for her to show up. I feel like she's She's uh, more visible, I guess, in uh, in in the Avengers. I don't know. Plus, it like did make a quite a bit of money. Anyway, um, True. all right, well done, me. That's our episode. If you guys want more of this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Show uh, where can listeners find uh, more of you? Oh, I'm all sorts of places. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd, Reed spelled, or as Joe Reed there, uh, Reed spelled the same way. And I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File, that is F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mavius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So let us know you never liked Sean, but you always loved us. <laughs> That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye.